Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is the show where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other tech topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by our co-hosts, Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions, Shaheen Khan from Orion X, and Jesse Lanham, our millennial standout co-host. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another scintillating edition of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds, as always, along with Jesse Lanham. How you doing, Jesse? Hello, I'm doing okay. Uh, Shaheen Khan down in the valley. Excellent, excellent. Dano, how are you? Didn't ask you how you were doing. Just mentioned you were there. <laughs> <laughs> I always praise your delivery. Thank you. And, of course, Henry Newman up in the great white frozen north of Minnesota. How you doing, Henry? It's not frozen. We see brown and it's raining. Wow, that's fantastic. A thrilling change. So we are all remote. Well, we always are because uh, that's just the way we roll. And we've been scanning around the news in this time of trouble and crisis. And one of the interesting things that Shaheen got us on to was an HPC Wire article that was an interview of Argonne National Lab's Rick Stevens on what the DOE is going to be using AI for in science projects. Yeah, I think that's just incredibly important topic for our entire industry and for science in general. I see a lot of scientists who are looking at AI because they feel like they have to. They don't want to miss out. They don't really know where the use case actually is. Mm. And there are those who feel like they have found the use case that is legit. And when you double click on it, some of it looks a little bit more legit than others. So I think to figure out how AI fits with science, how it can help science. When do you use it? When do you not use it? How does it fit with classical modelings that exist? I think is a really big problem. And last year we talked about it on this show. I was really delighted that Rick Stevens and Argonne National Lab done these town halls. So this is a project that's been in progress and it's great to see that. It is. Well, and Sheen, I would add something that's equally important, that everybody who's writing grant proposals almost has to have the words AI or some AI-like application in their grant proposal right now, because that's what is the buzzwords for evaluation. Oh, yeah. So we, we've got to get to a point where we actually know what we're doing and know why we're doing something. Yes. Yeah. And I can see that if you're on the funding side of this, you're probably going to say, you know what, I'm just going to preferentially treat anybody that talks about AI, and one of them is going to get it right. So I can see that if you're managing the portfolio, that's how you're going to encourage the, the industry to move in a particular direction. But what I like about this effort is that it's trying to actually get to that answer in a systematic way. One of the things that I heard on my grand HPC 2018 road trip, every lab I talked to was talking about using AI to inform their simulations, which were, you know, at this point, always have been kind of brute force type of affairs where they would try every variable and see how close they're getting and interpolate and all of that. But if you apply AI to that stuff, it will really, they believe, cut a lot of corners. Was there any specific progress and projects that that was like geared towards? From my trip, it was from everybody except Los Alamos. Oh, okay. And they were looking at it in their simulations. You want to tell us about your trip, Dano? Oh, Sure. 2018, I decided to make the great HPC road trip driving from my home in Beaverton, Oregon, all the way to Dallas, Texas, and then coming back, but visiting national labs and filming interviews and what they're doing and the folks there along the way. So I stopped at seven national labs 
and just had a great time. A lot of videotape up on Inside HPC. I believe it's in seven parts. So it was a long road trip. Just incredible to be in those labs all in one trip. It's really great. It was. It was a great time. A lot of pressure to make sure I hit all the tour stops. A lot of driving, 5,879 miles door to door. And and you stopped by my property and took pictures, if I remember correctly, Dan. I stopped by your property and just drove, man, 200 miles out of my way to stop by your lot at that time, Henry, in Las Cruces, just to make a video and mess with you. (laughs) Time well spent. It was well worth it. And, you know, 200 and 300 miles is kind of a rounding error on a trip of that length. So it was well worth it. I don't know. Is that fit for public viewing, Henry? The haunting of Henry House? No. Okay. (laughs) We're keeping the fact that it's haunted under wraps, Dan. But the National Lab videos are, and we'll find the links to them. Yes. 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 And you can live vicariously on every HPC junkie's dream trip. It was good work. Yes. But this is a great interview, and I can see an awful lot of ways, again, after talking to the labs, that they're going to be able to really inform their simulations by using AI. I've heard that from a a lot of people, both in the national labs and in the DOD and other places, that they're moving quickly to that to try to understand exactly what you talked about in different parameters and convergence and things like that. Yeah, it's not a panacea, though. No, it's another bullet in... Another tool. In, yep. Yeah, it's just another tool. But really, the assignment is to find out when it can be a panacea. When it, but even when... panaceas aren't panaceas anymore, Shaheen. You have mentioned that panaceas had a better time in the old days. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like a million dollars. And what was that comment? A million here, a million there. So you're talking real money? That was a billion. And, and that, that was, it wasn't that... Uh, Oh, who was that? Um, one old of the tiny, older, old time yeah. senator. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shoot. Oh, that narrows it down. No, I said no. He was a congressman. Not, a, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> here, but you're right. Now there. it's like a billion. Now it's an Austin Powersy kind of a thing. Everett Dirksen, congressman. Everett Dirksen. Dirksen. You yeah. don't get more older school than Everett Dirksen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was old when he was elected, and he stayed in there about 60 years. And where did he hail from? Uh, the Civil War, I believe. <laughs> a, little bit a, a little bit after that, I think. So who, first off, looking back at the article, who is Rick Stevens, and what has he done that has made him so prominent in this sort of area? So Rick has been at Argonne National Labs for a long time. I think the first time I met him was many years ago in Beaverton when he came to visit Cray Business Systems. And he's now the Associate Laboratory Director at Argonne National Labs. Deep, broad, well-liked, one of the rock stars of HPC. So we're going to induct him into our pending Hall of Fame. You know, we should, in fact, start a Hall of Fame. Because who better than us to have a Hall of Fame? Who would want to be in it? Well, my... <laughs> <laughs> That's a question that comes to my mind. I would say nobody, but okay. they don't get to pick. Oh, that's good. Okay. Okay. It's not up to them. Well, good article. Yeah. Well, but anyway, yeah. the, the point is that at what point is this stuff really real? So I have detected two use cases that are slam dunk. One is that you have simply so much data that there's no other way for you to make sense of them. It's just spewing in and you got to do something with it that you physically cannot do it any other way. That's one way. Now, if you happen to have access to sufficient data that you could do this, then you can do the kind of stuff that Dana was talking about is to get to a first approximation and then use 
the actual model and science to take the next step and go the last mile, so to say. Those are two use cases that are emerging that seem to be real. The problem is the cases where you don't have enough data and you still have a really long distance to go. And that is a problem that is yet to be solved, where you just got to get to that first approximation without sufficient data to guide you. Mm. Do you have any specific problems that you could give as examples for both of those scenarios? Yeah, Shaheen. The last one where there is really not enough data is supersonics Mm. in aviation, where you just really don't have enough data. You don't even have simulated data. Actually, But you do have the Navier-Stokes equation. You need hypersonics is even worse. Yeah, I meant the same kind of a category. I wasn't trying to... I I thought anything past sonics was that area. Okay. Sonics and beyond. I like to be real specific. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. No, specificity is a given with Henry Newman. Awesome. Good example. I like that one. Good job. Uh, It's a great article. We've got the link up there for everybody to go to it, read it, understand it, and live it. One of the other there will be a quiz. There will be a quiz. <laughs> One of the other interesting articles is some of the analysts have been commenting on what they expect to happen with chip foundries, particularly those that specialize in HPC type chips. And they're kind of all over the map. No one really okay, I'm gonna go ahead and just say this. No one really had the guts at this point to say what's probably going to happen. That for instance, IDC said in an example of fiery caution that they're forecasting a roughly 80% chance that global chip revenues will contract in 2020. 80%. Wow. They, so again, no, don't go out on a limb or anything. No. 80% yeah. chance. It's fiery caution and crusading inertia. We've already lost a full month, probably six weeks, and they're only forecasting 80%. Good for them. It's an 80% chance that revenue will be down. When did they say that, though? Well, this is as of March 23rd. Oh, yeah. well, come on. If they did that like a month and a half ago, yeah. But like, yeah. by now, I would say that, what, would you up that to 100% perhaps? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I would say it's a done deal. It's not even a forecast at this point. It's a rearview mirror. Yes, totally agree. It's a very Gartner-like thing to say. Gartner doesn't really do those percentages anymore. They do magic quadrants. Oh, yeah. It's quadrant machine. That's true. I was hoping that uh, Penn and Teller would do some magic quadrants too. (laughs) That would be pretty cool. Big fan. Big fan. But clearly there's a demand shock. There's a supply shock. There's a shock shock. But I will say this. You cannot find a laptop, a Chromebook, or anything anywhere at Dell. The prices have gone way up. I was about to buy a, a laptop for a graduation gift for a nephew. My last laptop I have to buy for nephews or nieces, and I went to go buy it. None. Prices are way up. They're up uh, significantly. So, Like how much up? Uh, they're up like 20% Not. from when I was looking back in February. Maybe you should buy a Mac. No. Yeah, I'm sure, that, I'm sure Apple prices aren't up. No, no. Just a little Raspberry Pi. This is all you get, nephew. No. I've probably got um, enough spare parts to build him something. i got some old no, laptops. I- no, no, no. Part of my deal is I buy four-year service warranties next business day on site with uh, accidental damage protection. For a nephew? So I, I go all out for my for nephews and nieces. That's what they get for me. Very nice. It's a solid gift. It's a very solid gift. Anyway, so 
disappointing predictions from our analyst community. Hyperion didn't do a whole lot better. They're just sort of saying that it's going to be down, but then demand is going to surge, that most vendors are telling them that they expect customers to spend their entire annual HPC budgets once the virus threat subsides. And I don't know about that. I think a lot of that's going to be pushed into 2021. I agree. Dan, I hate to, again, we're agreeing. This is what the cause of all the problems in 2020 is. Dan, I have agreed too much. It's also a signal of the end times as well. (laughs) Anybody want to go out on a limb and make a prediction on when things are going to normalize? I will go out on a limb. What do you mean by normalize? Events will start happening, things like that? Yes. Okay. Positive momentum. When do we peak? No, when do things start happening again? July. July, end of okay. July, end, end of July. I think that's about right. July from Henry. I think that's optimistic. That's about right when things will turn around, so to say, but not be normal. I think that's when the slope changes. Correct. That's when they may start to, but if I were doing a public event, I wouldn't count on anything short of... September. September. Yes, I would agree with that for sure, but uh, July is turnaround. July, August is turnaround. That's possible. Let me ask you this. If things do turn around then, do Europeans still take August off? No, Definitely. they got to make up. <laughs> there are no economically they will not. Okay. But I don't know. Some some traditions, Henry. I wouldn't be surprised. Except except for maybe one country which kind of gets assessed with their vacations. France? I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the analyst that has the bold vision to go ahead and say that. <laughs> but but aren't all European countries like that? They kind of cherish their vacations and for good reason, and we applaud them for that. Even after being closed up for two months. And then you get to go out into the world and experience it. I'd argue that the vacation would be more important than ever. That's why you're a millennial. I'm not a millennial. You are too. Thank you very much. I am hurt We're by the ones that. that I am too pull- young for that, Dan. We built this country by not taking oh, big, God. long vacations. Let me tell you what it was like back in my day, back in the 90s. With hoops and string. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Well, Henry. Is there any reason this week why people shouldn't be online? There is always a reason virtually every week, Dan. And sometimes there are two or three good reasons a week. But there's a really good one this week. Interesting article from Windows Central. I've seen it other places where hackers have allegedly stolen the AMD Navi 21 and Xbox Series GPU test files, the low-level test files, which means they basically know the whole chip. And if you know the whole chip, you know any vulnerabilities in the chip, and you can develop... Ooh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yucky. Uh-oh. And, that's, and supposedly, the hackers are demanding $100 million or she'll leak everything. Jesse, you involved in this? Yes. I'm standing here shocked. Oh, you're not involved in this? Oh, I'm not. No, I thought you said, are you involved in what we're like recording? And the answer was yes. Well, Am I involved job. in the plot? Yeah. Definitely right. not. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. No. But that's a big deal, Henry. AMD says they're not critical. Of course. Well, but it's just the test suites. Why is it a big deal? Well, I think it's a big deal because it's a different attack vector than ever before. No one's ever gotten this. No one's. I, that I'm a. But what can you do with test files? These are the low-level test files of the Verilog or whatever the chip programming code they use. And if you know those test files, 
and know how the chip is constructed, you can determine vulnerabilities within the chip that are fixed in firmware. Yeah. You've got to be. Is there possibly an encouraging aspect to this story that the hackers now need to resort to such gymnastics? No, this is. I don't see. Oh, yeah, I don't. No, hard to put a happy face no, on no, this, this one. This is no happy this face. Is, there? The hackers right. are getting no. more and more educated, sophisticated, yeah, educated and sophisticated of what they can get and who to attack before attacking AMD and Intel. That wasn't the place to get your money. Now the place to get your money is attack them. So this attack vector is scary. Interesting. Yes. It's cool in the devil's advocate way, but (laughs) (laughs) it is. That they're smart (laughs) enough to go after that? Yeah. It's interesting to to think about the fact of, like Henry was saying, that this is actually one of the newer attack vectors. And to think about how far it's come and all of that sort of jazz, it as a cybersecurity person does make you a little giddy, but at the same time, the altruistic side is like, no, okay, we got to fix that now. Well, let me ask you guys this. Does this have any, and gals, does this have any implications for open source chips? Mm. Some of the open source is truly open, and some of them you can build your own using the instruction sets and put things together. I think it might have some implication. I don't want to answer right now. I want to think about it. Okay. Okay. Think about it. And stay tuned, everyone out there, for Henry's thrilling conclusion to this question in the coming weeks. And speaking of staying tuned for things, you hear that sound? Yeah, you do. That means it's time for the catch of the week. Henry, what do you got? I've got nothing. Empty net for Henry. Again. Again. He's been offline, you know? Sheen? Yes, I have. uh, There's an article in ZDNet that caught my eye, and that is how the internet is coping with all the extra traffic. Oh, good. Yeah. I believe this comes from the UK site, but hopefully it's indicative. And they spell color wrong. They spell schedule wrong, color wrong. There's a whole bunch of things. Well, you know, why not put a U in there? (laughs) Yeah, let's focus on that aspect. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's the important things are covered on this podcast. So, what'd they have to say? They were basically saying that traffic is way up, but it's way up during the day when traditionally it was down anyway. And that it is now approaching peak evening hours, and therefore it should all be manageable. Except that end users are starting to see signs of congestion. Uh, so there's a bit of a wait and see right now. And also, some people say there's not enough time passed yet for any kind of metric to look like a pattern. But the, the stats were anywhere from 27% to 60%. So it also shows that people are not looking at the whole picture over a sufficient amount of mm. time yet. Mm. Speaking for myself, I know that Comcast have throttled me. Really? I'm down Mm. more than half, and my ping is up. The upload speeds are pretty dismal. Uh, Both download and upload, I'm down. Oh, huh. Over what they guaranteed me. Now, I don't think it's the best thing in these times of strife to call them up and just verbally assault them over it. (laughs) Good call. I think I may come off as less than charitable if I did that. So I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm with you. I'm paying for 150. I was getting 270 and I'm down down to in the 80s. See, I'm in the 20s and I'm paying for 100 too. Yeah, I'm down too. And I think maybe they have to do it. And if they do, then they do. If they're allocating to more essential things, then that's fine by me. But if they're playing with me, that's not fine by me. Are they going to charge me less? No. I doubt it. No. See, that's the part I don't like. Anyway, 
So the internet, according to Shaheen, is mostly okay, at least at this point, this early point in time. According to this report, they were saying that they've got enough capacity because it's not happening when they already had peak load. Okay. So Jesse, what do you have to say? What's your catch? My net is empty today. Your net is empty? Unfortunately. You have never failed. I know. You've never failed. I know. I feel like I get a pass for us going back to school in the time of a pandemic. We've been sitting at home. This was the week we started. I've been writing a lab report. (laughs) Thank you very much. I have school to still do. (laughs) Okay. Well, my catch of the week is about Radio Free HPC and what we've got coming at you next. This will be the first Radio Free HPC radio drama about the life and times of Charles Babbage. With all of us playing different parts, we're going to do something out there that'll be educational and entertaining. And we hope you all tune in for this. Really? You're going to set that expectation? It's going to be (laughs) semi-educational and (laughs) semi-entertaining? Going along with the... You guys can choose. With the title of it, which is the... uh, What do we call that? The semi-accurate... Slightly inaccurate history of great leaps in computing. Yes, and our inaugural dramatization will be about Charles Babbage. And we're all looking forward to recording that. That sounds really interesting. So that's going to be a lot of fun, and that'll be the next episode out from us. So now we're moving from Car Talk of Supercomputing to History Channel of Supercomputing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's definitely still Car Talk. Yeah, History Channel's probably... Wait wait till you hear the production. (laughs) Uh, Think about it as one of those classic british dramas that we used to see on uh on the public <laughs> broadcasting what was it masterpiece theater a little war of the world Master- masterpiece <laughs> theater that's what we're aiming for <laughs> it'll be a lot of fun well the word masterpiece is a word they already associate with us exactly on that note let's go ahead and call this an episode of radio free hpc reach out to us on twitter we're at radio free hpc or you can use the email which we found to be highly useful in both our personal and public careers. Our email address is podcast at Radio Free HPC, and we read each and every one of them. So mind your spelling and grammar a little bit. So once again, thank you all for listening. Everybody stay safe and check out our next episode. Talk to you soon. Boom. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.